Hello, and thank you for downloading the Trap One podcast. This is Jason in the United States, Brooklyn, New York. A few weeks ago, I brought you on Trap One, a supercut of all my interviews with Philip Hinchcliffe, the Doctor Who producer and novelization writer, which I recorded with Philip in the year 2022 from my Doctor Who Literature podcast, my solo project, in addition to my work on Trap One. This week, I am very proud to bring to you another interview curated from Doctor Who Literature. This is my interview with Elizabeth Morton. Elizabeth Morton is a novelist, an actor. She's married to Peter Davison, and by marriage is mother-in-law to David Tennant, which means she has a significant portion of Doctor Who's in her family tree. She has written a series of novels about Liverpool, historical sagas. Her latest one, from Pan Macmillan Books, is called The Orphans from Liverpool Lane, and came out earlier this year, 2023. My thanks to Chloe Davies with Pan Macmillan for arranging my interview with Elizabeth Morton, which occurred in June 2023. Portions of this aired on Doctor Who Literature a week ago in connection with my episode about the Five Doctors novelization. I am now happy to bring to you, on Trap One, the interview in its entirety. Elizabeth, writing as Eliza Morton, has published The Orphans from Liverpool Lane, and we're going to talk about that novel. We're also going to talk about Elizabeth's associations with the Doctor Who family, and some of her television performances outside of the Doctor Who universe. Very happy to bring you this interview, after which I will review the book. So please, enjoy the Trap One interview with Elizabeth Morton. My next guest I am very pleased to announce is an actor and a writer and a member of the Doctor Who family. When her press officer at Pan McMillan sent me a family photo, every single person in the photo was either Doctor Who or the child of Doctor Who. (laughs) And then my next guest, Elizabeth Morton. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure. Pleasure. And the occasion for our conversation today is your newest novel, The Orphans from Liverpool Lane, put out by Pan McMillan. This is, I believe, your fifth uh, Liverpool novel? Yeah, yeah. So I write sagas. And um, sagas is very much a genre where you build up um, a readership where the stories are interconnecting, often set in the same part of the world, um, very much a kind of, um, they're not series, they're, they're standalone books, but, um, you know, some of the best saga writers, me, me at book five is just absolute dipping my toe in the water. When I get to book 25, then maybe I'll, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have come to the end of the canon, but it is, a, yes, it's the genre all set in Liverpool, all set post-war, um, all, all set, you, you know, young women facing societal um, challenges um, and romantic, 
romantic, with a big kind of romantic thread in them. And I love them. I'm from Liverpool. I've written many other, um, uh, I've written for TV and theatre, but um, I found my home with sagas. Just beginning, book five, and I'm just beginning. I'm a newbie. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And looking at orphans, there's a lot of uh, very hard-hitting uh, issues in the book. You have yeah. a family of four, the Rogan family, mm -hmm. and the father is off to fight World War II and comes back after many years in a prisoner of war camp with serious PTSD issues and yeah. addiction issues, which certainly was an epidemic among soldiers uh, all across the war. And you have his wife who is trying to make a go of it as a single mother during the war. And you have the two children. What was your starting point for this story? Okay. My starting point, um, my starting point is for any book is often a very visual event that I've been told about or heard about. And my mother who had always spoken to me about when her father was in the war, very similar to, to, um, the father in my story she came back home and he left when he was about two and he was away for five six years she came back home from school one day this was after the war and found my mother uh, my grandmother her mother on her knees crying and a stranger sitting in a chair and she was on her knees and she had her head in his lap in and she was crying and it was my mother's father and of course he was a complete stranger to to the family because he had been um, in in Africa, various places, Fifth Army, I think it was. And he, um, and, you know, I, I, she was very struck. She talked to me about this. She couldn't understand why her, her mother was crying because she was pro probably about seven or eight. Um, thinking about it, it was probably, you know, overwhelming, relief, whatever. But when you're an eight-year-old, and there's a strange man, and then you're told, this is your father. Um, I was very struck by what a powerful image that is, what a powerful start to, to a story, you know, and uh, being a, a kind of female household, and then suddenly this man who was, you know, lovely, kind of rock of the family, and has come back a completely different person. So that, that was my starting point, that story that image um, and then from from then on you your imagination you move away from that so it's not autobiographical but it's those things in in one's personal history again with saga writing that are so, so important because if you're not authentic um, in this genre I think your readers very quickly find that out you know you, as you mentioned, of course, are from Liverpool. What was the research process like, both for the history in the book and for the geographical locations in the book? Because I'll say, having never been there, I felt as if I could navigate my way around Liverpool after reading Orphans from <laughs> Liverpool Lane. <laughs> um, so, so uh, you know, the, the research in terms of location um, is not difficult because, you know, I grew up there, my family family from there and I'm still back and forth so you know I very clearly know how long it takes to get from the docks out to the you know the beach or you know that that's that's not 
that's not difficult. And I know uh, I was brought up in this very Catholic family, um, opposing forces. My mother's family were, were uh, dancers, musicians, but my father's family were very Catholic priests and nuns. So I know these institutions. I grew, I, I grew up in and out of them, playing my piano accordion and going to church. So I know how they smell, how they feel. That was, you know, that's not difficult for me. But the research, I'd say the research that... Um, that I brought into this book that I perhaps didn't know about was the more uh, talked about uh, recent stories of what happened to the children who were um, taken from orphanages and adopted and sent um, to places like Australia and Canada. And that, that's, that was, um, you know, heartbreaking to read. Um, but I think it's really important you keep committing these stories to paper. So, we never forget about them. So um did a lot of reading um, and talking to people who 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 have those experiences. Of course, in my own family, you know, that my dad was one of 10. So I've got a huge extended family and, uh, you know, uncles and aunts and, um, you know, research is just sitting and having a cup of tea with, with them. <laughs> you know, that's that's uh, that that's that's how I work. I, I'm very interested in oral histories. Um, at, as much as you know going to the library and it, it's and another thing I always do as a writer um I always go to local bookshops in places like Liverpool and and I re and I buy the books that are kind of tucked away where people have written lots of people write their own stories and self-publish and they're you know often a bit scrappy as you could imagine but you get absolute nuggets in those kind of books about how you know what people at what they wore their experiences that are very um personal and so that that's another way i research as well and what other writers do you look to for inspiration i'm quite eclectic i, I must say i'm quite eclectic um so i was the books that i first started reading when i was kind of a teenager i, I got very into Zola because all the Nana books because he he was writing about they were sagas big romantic tragic stories but all often set in the theater so you know the things that I was interested in 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 so so all those you know Les Miserables you know God, Jesus I remember most sort of pouring over that when I was 19 and kind of, um and then Thomas Hardy so that th these were these were my influences um there's a book called La Sassonnoire. Um, but I'm also very much, you know, as I say, I am eclectic. So, I, I, you know, what, what's the other end of that? You know, I, I loved P.G. Woodhouse, David Lodge, you know, that, that I'm, I'm, I like to inject humour where I can in my books. Um, so, uh, you know, and and... And re, you know some of the traditional saga authors like Helen Forrester and Maureen Lee. They're they're, they're kind of writing the sort of books that I write. Um, but but then I I I like to read some kind of you know I sort of try and what am I reading at the moment? I'm reading a John Irving book at the moment, um, the River Run River Twisted River. Um, but that sounds highfalutin. I can easily pick up 
some, you know, what, 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 you know, a Rolling Stones autobiography or something. <laughs> you know, so I, I like to keep it. Um, I like to keep it keep it mixed. Keith Richards' I'm, autobiography is quite a journey. Is it? Yes, yes, it is. And Dave Grohl, I've just read that book. <laughs> that you know, what's what's the name of that book? Well, I don't the have Dead. that one. Oh God! Everyone had 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 that at some point. I just thought I had to read it. I really enjoyed it. Um, what's it called? Dave Grohl. Um, forgotten. Anyway, let's not waste our time on me trying to remember that. But it was it was uh, yeah. So so I can be quite. Um, I love Irish books, of course. Um, John Boyne. You know anything with a with a sort of. Um, uh, I've just read the new. Michelle Keegan book, which is uh, which is all about the kind of literary end of the same subject matter that I'm writing about, which is about um, you know Ireland in the fifties and orphanages and 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 I'm fascinated by the control that the Catholic Church had over whole communities, and it's you know it it it, it I was. You know that was part of my life growing up in the seventies and eighties, and it it is it it does create such sort of conflict and drama. I think so. That's that's me. The orphanage characters in the book, uh, the sisters and uh, Father Donnelly, are vivid, vivid characters that are still with yeah. me several days later. My understanding is this is the first book in a trilogy, the Orphans of the Living trilogy. Now, what does yeah. the phrase "Orphans of the Living" mean? It's it's a, it's a horrifying expression. Yeah, horrifying, horrifying, and one that uh, I again only came across fairly recently. Um, but Orphans of the Living was w w was really exactly that. It was children who were put into care, and because the the institutions were mostly religious institutions. Um, this phrase kind of stuck. So you'd have within the institutions kids who were orphans, and then you'd have children whose parents, maybe single mothers, you know, maybe fathers who's who, you know, who who uh, were wid widowers who who had children and couldn't cope, needed to work, you know, couldn't afford. So often they would be put in and then taken out, and extraordinarily. I think it's pretty extraordinary given my history is when I was writing, um, not this book, another book, um, my uncle said, because my, fa my father, his father died. And so his mother was left with 10 children. And um, so it's really based on their experience as well. But what I didn't know is he said to me, my uncle, well, that's amazing because those, um, he said, you got the girls just right when you described the, the orphanage and I said what do you mean you got the girls just right now my father died when I was quite young so he told me that um my father's family when she lost her husband she turned to the church and all the younger I think the five younger children were all put into um into the 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 care of the nuns which I thought was really strange I then spoke to my mother about it she said oh yes my dad you know yes this happened she then got a job took the children back home so they were in fact orphans of the living themselves I hadn't known and I'd I'd been writing about this or had I known and was it buried deep in my 
you know, psyche or memory had I heard a story and forgotten about it. But I thought that was fascinating that here I was writing about an experience that actually was much closer hand to me. And then the same orphanage that my dad went into many years later, he um, he was involved with, you know, on the on the uh, when it had become a, a very different kind of uh, home. It was a home for disabled people, but he was involved on the board and he never said these were the same steps that I walked up when I was four years old, you know, these were the, the and um, sadly he died. So, but, you know, there you go. You can, you can have a conversation through a book sometimes, can't you, you know? What do you have planned, if you can share with us, for the next two books in the trilogy? And are we going to see more of the Rogan family or do you have, I, I assume, many other stories to tell? Yeah, I have many other stories. The book that I'm finishing at the moment um it's it's the same the same orphanage, um, but it's a family. Again, this is very much a, a kind of Liverpool story, but I, I think it is universal. After the war in Liverpool, there was they often said that you know what what Hitler started, that the corporation finished off because they just took the opportunity to raise down you know the, the, to any to any buildings they thought were slums. And they moved everyone out into the environs of Liverpool and thought they were giving everyone a better life with, you know, um, green spaces. But they forgot to build shops. They forgot to build pubs. They forgot to build, you know, any community buildings. And cons the consequences, we're still living with the consequences of that terrible planning decision. So I'm I'm writing, I, 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 I was very, I reread, um, um, Anna of the Five Towns, and I, I wanted to write about a family that's kind of in chaos, but there's a member of the family, the, my heroine, who feels that, you know, um, that there is a bright new future and this is the future, and then the family disintegrates and the, the, she, her younger sister's children, that they, they end up, um, because Liverpool is falling apart, they then have nowhere to live. And um, so, but they do... They do feature the Rogans, the, the daughters, the, the, the daughter, um, one of the daughters does feature. But I try and my, make my books, very, uh, again, standalone. So, so if you haven't read another book before, you can still enjoy it. Um, and e e each book will have um, a different heroine. There are so many stories, Jason, <laughs> in, in Liverpool. And <laughs> I'm sure that, that there are so many stories to be told. Yeah. Uh, that's 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 terrific. In terms of your own family tree, this is almost a time travel story, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, yes it is. Where do I start? I have to ask, first of all, um, given uh, your husband, given your son-in-law, out of the 14 so far, who is your favorite doctor? <laughs> oh, well, I... Uh... I'm sorry, it has to be John Pertwee because um, <laughs> <laughs> because, <laughs> because I just remember an episode with slugs and hiding behind the sofa when I was little. And um, Green Slugs, you will probably be able to tell me the name of it. Um, so, and, and I loved his shirts. So what can I say? Um, when, 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 when um, sadly, when my husband was doing his stuff, I think I was uh, slightly distracted with the... Uh, <laughs> drama school and very other thing other things <laughs> in my life i wasn't watching doctors yeah john pertwee 
Sorry, Peter. Sorry, David. Of course, they're all fa fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you were in the Five-ish Doctors as well, I believe, which Peter, I think, wrote. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> that was it. I didn't exactly have a starring role, but um, I was in it. And I remember I made a lots of lots of cups of tea for people because um, we filmed some of it at our house. And and I yeah, I feel I was very much on that uh, journey with him. I remember when when uh, he was beginning to do it. We were at a convention in Australia, and it was all starting to happen. It was it was great fun. Yeah. It just kind of grew and grew in terms of, well, that's like writing a book is where you, you know, write a few chapters and then just becomes this thing. <laughs> How did you and Peter meet, I should say? How did we meet? Well, uh, again, you know, is that, I often think, is that all to do with, you know, time, puff, you know, sort of the, the, um, it, it, it because I was offered two jobs with Peter, acting jobs, both of which I turned down because I couldn't do them. I was busy doing something else. One was an episode of Campion. One was an episode of Peculiar Practice. So when I finally did meet Peter, it was through a mutual friend called Tyler Butterworth, who's a lovely actor, who's a, a trivia note here. His dad played the meddling monk in um, one of the Doc Peter. Peter Butterworth is his name and one of the doc earlier doctors. So I met him through Tyler and we we met kind of, you know, on a sort of set up date by Tyler, which is much better than meeting at work, I guess. So <laughs> that's how we met. Yeah. Nice. The irony of being introduced to Doctor Who by the son of one of Doctor Who's greatest 1960s villains, the meddling monk, is just hilarious <laughs> to me. It is probably. I've never really thought about that before, but it's only. It's only. Um, you know, when you talk to people who who who, you know, recognise these characters that 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 I have had that pointed out to me. I think it's rather nice, really. And speaking yeah. of Doctor Who connections, you were telling me earlier you have a set of Doctor Who novelizations in your home. Yeah, yeah. So they were given. So at one point, um, Mark Gatiss, um. I think he was having work on his house and he didn't have anywhere to go and he had a dog. And so for a brief time, um, he stayed at our house. We weren't there at the time, but he very kindly brought us a whole set of Doctor Who novelizations, like 1960s, I think, and the little Target books. Anyway, I must go and properly look at that. As I say, my sons are, are massive Doctor Who fans. No surprise there, really, but they they, they are kind of like those, you know, they are real like super fans, and they um and uh, so of course they they know that they're much more into that. I, I must say I'm not scrabbling around in the bottom of the cupboard for them, but I think my, my boys um will have read them. Yeah, they are they are um yeah lovely lovely things to have. I became a Doctor Who fan. 39 years ago and the novelizations have been a large part of my life ever since and of oh, course really? the inspiration for my podcast ah amazing yeah that, that yeah there's nothing like um you know reading a reading a book is there that that um you can just lose yourself in in you know that that's fantastic yeah and the Target books were very small size. I was able to bring them yeah, all. They're very you, portable to come on family vacations. Yeah, you can, you can slip them in your pocket, can't you? Yeah, yeah. 
they don't take up too much space. So <laughs> between Peter and David and Georgia Tennant, I imagine you have a lot of stories you could tell from the Doctor Who production set, some of which I'm sure because David is now Doctor number 14, some of which I am sure you cannot share with us. <laughs> well, I, I, um, you know, this is, is this is this surprising? I I've noticed it. I've noticed over time actually with Doctor Who since you know being with Peter twenty five years, twenty six years. Blimey, I've noticed over time um, that it's got much more um, high stakes in terms of sharing information. Um, so. It never was really like that. Um, well, then I suppose Peter wasn't doing Doctor Who, but uh, but but I've seen over time. So so there's not much chat. I have to say about oh the other day this happened. So says so, so. <laughs> probably because you probably get sued or something. <laughs> so <laughs> so in the in the um, in the old days. There was probably you could probably be a bit more like gossipy about it. And the other thing is, Jason, it's like um, you know, we we probably would talk more about um you know personal dramas and you know, I don't know, what what would we be talking about? Um, you know, Trump, for example, um, <laughs> then we would be talking about what happened on the production set of, of Doctor Who. Whether that's because, as I said, just talk, kind of, you know, putting it into words now. Is it is it because actually it's become a little bit more um, sensitive, you know? So you wouldn't you wouldn't kind of say, oh, this happened, or you know, I I you'd you'd be a bit more. Um, You'd be a bit more kind of careful, I would expect, in a positive way. So, so production set. You know, I I, I know I I know that um, it's quite grueling. I do know that in terms of the schedule, and you know that that's. Um, but then I think it always was with Peter as well. You know, a lot to get through and long hours, and um, but yeah. I'm trying to th I'm I'm trying to think of anything um that I can add to the conversation on this and, and uh, I I'd say it is yeah I mean it the, you know every, when uh, when you've got busy lives and everyone you tend to sort of prioritize your conversations about <laughs> you know <laughs> your mother-in-law or your you know or your kind of or 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 what what latest kind of stuff the kids are into or um work is is we don't really talk i mean there's a very supportive it's a very supportive family on all sides so very supportive of my books and supportive of other you know projects that people are involved in that you know and not necessarily doctor who and and that's that's really nice but i i expect if you're a family of of you know doctors medical doctors you all sit around and talk about you know the latest this that the other but it doesn't you know occupy 
all of the, all of the talk. Personally, yeah, I would not... love to not talk Donald Trump anymore, but that doesn't seem to be an option. <laughs> so would I. But <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so when the last, the most recent episode, Power of the Doctor, actually stars Peter and oh, David yes. in the same episode, yeah. although not on, not, on, not on camera at the same time. Yes, yes. That's right. I'd forgotten about that. And that was quite... And that was a secret, wasn't it, until the night that, that it went out, that, that Peter was in it. I seem to remember he was also on a series called The Larkins on the same night. And um, it was like he was saying, oh, who should I, what should I watch Doctor Who on <laughs> The Larkins? Um, but he enjoyed, he, you know, he loves Janet and, and he loved that. That was very nice to go back and to be with, you know, Janet again and and uh, on the set of Do Doctor Who that was fantastic yeah it was um I'd forgotten about that yeah I had yeah. watched that episode with no spoilers going in so oh, David you. so we were, were you surprised then absolutely shocked that you had all the surviving doctors in it so yeah. the, I was not expecting Peter showing up in costume and then yeah Everyone thought that Shudi Gatwa was going to be the doctor that Jodie Whittaker regenerates into, but instead, yeah. surprise, it's David it Tennant again. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. It was, and and that ju does just show you how, you know, how how they managed to keep that secret. Surprising, really, isn't it? That there were people out there that. Did. So that I suppose that is another reason why there isn't so much. Um, people people are a bit more protective and careful uh, you know over, over you know keeping those secrets i mean amazing secret to be able to keep really when you think in the world we live in today you know that was great that you had no idea because i think that brought a lot of joy to people of course we see the doctors you know i saw sylvester and colin only the other day because you see them at we often see them at conventions and um, so that's that's um you know they're part of our lives, the older doctors, which is is absolutely, and then you meet the newer uh, actors who are involved in the show now at those at those um, conventions. So that's very nice as well. It is a community. I can't quite believe now that there's, you know, Peter's Doctor Five. So what is? Does that mean there's ten? There's ten more doctors after him? Blimey! Ah. <laughs> Amazing. The number yeah. count gets sort of convoluted because John yeah. Hurt appeared as Doctor Who as an unnumbered yes, Doctor. Yes, 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 yes. And now David is both 10 and 14. Yes. Oh, yes. So, so that brings it down uh, 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 one number, doesn't it? Yes. Do you know what? Sometimes I think I write my sagas because it's a way of um, going and kind of escaping all the sci-fi which makes your head explode on occasions <laughs> i just escape to the past of my imagination <laughs> it's always yeah, interesting for me when i watch uh, peter in a non-doctor who role so being a native new yorker law and order is a very big part of our lives oh yeah is it is it's, it it's been in continuous production for over 30 years when i was in oh, law wow. school law and order was used as a teaching tool Oh wow! 
And then Peter, I didn't of even course, know it was still going. I didn't know it was still going. But the original series has come back, and then there are right. multiple spinoffs, many of which are still, right. well, because of the strike, not right now, but they are in active production yeah. for this TV season. Amazing. That's great. That was a great show. That was a great show. And P Peter was in the theatre at the time. And how he managed to do it, because I think he was in Legally Blonde, which is a really, you know, quite taxing um, physically. And he'd be filming in the day and then working in the evening. And um, he, he was filming in and around London, I seem to remember, a lot of stuff on location. And, of course, Freema was in it, wasn't she? Yes, yes, she was. Yes, yeah, yeah. Now, I, I have often walked through a law and order shoots on my way to work in Manhattan or in Brooklyn. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, that's what, that's what I remember Peter doing that. And he said, we're filming in Trafalgar Square. I was like, how are you going to stop the traffic? You know, how he said, no, they don't do it like that. You just put power on. You power on and you use all, all the uh, background artists. Uh, uh, just, just happen to be people going to work. It's fantastic. Yeah. The episodes of Law and Order that Peter did were based on American Law and Order episodes where I already knew the ending going in, but I was watching for his performance, which was very, very different from his Doctor Who performance, obviously. Yeah, he, he, he he's he's um he's a good actor, Peter, so he can he can be very different in things, you know. In preparation for this interview, I watched your episode of Dear John last night, which <laughs> there was also an American version of Dear John, your episode no. of which was remade and is available on YouTube. Really? Yes. Well, I'm amazed that, that I have seen that episode recently and I've been amazed on many, <laughs> on many levels. Um <laughs> but what I'm sort of amazed is that is that these things that you think were you know of their time they've gone they've you've done it you had a great time and then they're back they're back on the television now because of technology and the, it's 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 it, people are enjoying them the the other series I was in was something called Tripods and when I went to um when I was at a convention with Peter recently someone said oh thinking of doing a tripods convention i was like what <laughs> but be, but you know i think people are they love it and, it, and it, it's especially i suppose if it's something they grew up with and it stays with them but yeah the world has changed no, who would ever imagine can't believe you watched that episode of dear john that's that's very funny he was a lovely actor ralph bates he passed away very young, I believe. Yes, he too young, too young. He, he was a lovely actor. The, yeah. the star of the American Dear John, Judd Hirsch, his family was in the same building as my grandmother in Brooklyn in the late 80s. So my grandmother had to buy a VCR to tape those episodes to show to the family. And I was the one who had to program the VCR for her. So I had a very young exposure to Dear John in the late 80s. <laughs> I'll tell you that. So is there an American version of me? Yes. <laughs> An actress oh, named Jennifer Runyon who played you. No. Ah, I love it. There you go. You'd only get that trivia from a Doctor Who fan. That's <laughs> <laughs> we, we catalog these things. I promise you, Elizabeth. We catalog all the cast lists. <laughs> wow. So I guess the, the last question that, that I have time to ask you, and thank you so much for your time today. Um, do you and Peter and the children 
do you sit around and watch Doctor Who for pleasure? And if so, what is your favorite episode? You mentioned the Green Death already, which of course is a yeah, classic was one. That, but... That's what it was called. Well, I have to say, my favorite episode would be, and you'll have to, te- I'll tell you why, and you'll have to tell me the name of it. As I say, because we meet people, fans, all the time, and um, so we know firsthand how 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 important Doctor Who is in their lives. The episode I remember was when Louis and Joel, my sons, who are big fans, um, were watching the episode where Billy Piper and David um, they they there were two Davids in it. Two Davids, a baddie and a goodie. But Billy Piper was leaving. And both my sons, but particularly Louis, because he was a bit old, were just in floods and floods of tears. And and that's when I was kind of struck by just how powerful and how important it is. Because they're it, it was move it you know, it moved them in a way that um I had seen nothing else do, and um, and I thought it, it it's about you know finding those connections. It it it's enabled to, to, to for 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 um for young people to to find a place in the world. And so I'd have to say that that would have to be my favorite. I'm sorry, it's not one of Peter's. We one of the one of the other thing about Peter, which which is why. Is probably worth mentioning is when when people weren't watching it so much because it was it was not on the TV. The boys used to watch it and they used to call it um, used to call him um, used to call it Doctor Daddy, and um, <laughs> and and so wow. I do remember watching some of Peter's episodes with the kids and thinking, this is a, again an important things in their lives and our lives and and um, you know it's it, it's remained with me. So you could choose any one of those episodes, Jason. And as I'll I say, you, I can't remember. I can't remember the name of the one where where, where David was on a beach. David that, was on a beach. There were two of them. There was Billy and there was Louis and Joel, absolutely distraught, but um, <laughs> yet moved um, in in a very touching way. That episode, I believe, is called Journey's End, and I know exactly where I was when I was watching it. So I also have very strong memories and. I will tell you personally, Peter was my first doctor in 1984 being aired in the States. So my my very first full episode was Arc of Infinity. And my favorite episode was Enlightenment from the very first few days that I watched. So Peter is the reason that we are all here today. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's hats off to Peter. But um, yeah, he's uh, he's uh, yeah. I don't want to get too gushing and I don't want to get too insulting. So I'm trying, I'm trying to kind of f- tread a fine line, but uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's, um, he's lovely, Peter. And Elizabeth, we're about to lose our recording time. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Thank today. you, Jason. Really appreciate- I look forward eagerly to your next books. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Orphans from Liverpool Lane, written by Elizabeth Morton writing as Eliza Morton, Pan Macmillan Books, 2023. The Orphans from Liverpool Lane is a World War II saga, but takes place not at all on the battlefield. Not all casualties of war occur on the front lines. 
There's been a very strong line of books recently about the women and children of World War II, and I place Eliza Morton's orphans in that category. As Elizabeth told us during the interview earlier, she specializes in sagas. The saga in orphans centers on the Rogan family, an Irish-descended family of four enjoying life in Liverpool on the eve of World War II. Over the better part of the next decade, we follow each member of the family, principally the two daughters, Cynthia and Marcia, as they move from girls to young women in the shadow of war and reconstruction. As with any good work of historical fiction, this book takes the Rogan family across all strata of society. Each family member has their own distinct journey, and we the reader come to care for all of them as the years go by, even when poor choices are made and the outlook seems bleakest. Family patriarch John is enlisted into the World War II effort fairly early on in the narrative, but soon becomes a prisoner of war in the Pacific Theater and takes an unexpectedly long time to get home. And when he does return home, he bears invisible scars from the war and is barely recognizable to his wife and daughters. Eunice, the mother, as was common for the era, has to go to work for the war effort to pay the bills, but this is no simple matter in the Liverpool of the 1940s. Comparable to another novel I recommend highly about the women of World War II, which is the Tennessee-based Atomic City Girls by Janet Beard, this book takes us deep into Eunice's struggles and the painful choices she has to make over the course of the book. Daughters, Cynthia and Marcia, are polar opposites in looks, temperament, talents, and interests. Both wind up what are called orphans of the living, and find themselves at times in the custody of a church-run orphanage in Liverpool, some of the members of which harbor dark and dangerous secrets of their own. Each Rogan girl responds to the experience in different ways, and Elizabeth makes us care about the good and terrible things that happen to them. Along the way, each girl tries to find a vocation, a calling, friends, family, and love. They experience false starts, privation, and betrayal. Cynthia, as she tries to escape her past by becoming a dancer. Marcia, as she tries to find happiness within the walls of the orphanage, or as au pair to a rich family's toddler. Elizabeth also portrays societal change throughout the book, as we meet municipal employees who react to the Rogan's plight in different ways. Empathy, indifference, or a passion for social justice and change. A saga without social commentary, or a broadcast of historically accurate character types, eccentric relatives, young idealistic civil servants or their more callous superiors, and unscrupulous dance hall impresarios would lack a certain flavor. But Orphans from Liverpool Lane takes us everywhere in the city, and the book is richer for the other characters we meet who commit good or ill. In the publicity material accompanying the book's release, Elizabeth, who, as we've heard, has strong Doctor Who family connections, refers to Orphans as her version of a time-travel novel. Though I was born long after the 1940s ended, and though I've never been to Liverpool, I felt as though I could navigate through the city blindfolded by the saga's end, and I had strong mental visions of almost all the characters, the Rogans, and their various friends, associates, love interests, rivals, and enemies. I found myself rooting for everyone in the family, even in their darkest moments, even as they make some choices that we, the reader, must know are going to end in sadness or tragedy. The book comes to a series of emotionally rich conclusions that wrap up most of the character arcs and point to the promise of a new decade as the 40s come to a close 
and as the 1950s dawn on the horizon. Orphans from Liverpool Lane is slated to be the first in a trilogy, and Elizabeth told us earlier that we may be seeing some of the Rogan girls again. I'll be waiting. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Trap One Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Trap One underscore. You can find our complete archives at trapone.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. Or most of your podcatchers of choice. You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Who Novels. That's D-R Who Novels. You can find me on Mastodon at Dr. Who Novels. Once again, that's D-R Who Novels at Mastodon.social. You also may enjoy the Doctor Who Literature Podcast, which features interviews like these on a weekly basis, with many figures from around the Doctor Who community of writers, actors, producers, and fans. You can find the Doctor Who Literature Podcast, again, on most of your podcast apps of choice. For more information, please write to me at Doctor Who Literature, that's drwholiterature, at gmail.com. It also helps if you like subscribe, and rate five stars to both the Trap One podcast and the Doctor Who Literature podcast. Next week, another panel will join you here on the Trap One podcast for stories in and around the worlds of Doctor Who. Thank you for listening, and good night now. (laughs) 